out in their field and just start planting seeds without doing anything, right? I mean, you would have to be stupid to do that, right? No, I mean, I don't even do that with my loan. If I'm going to receive my loan, I aerate it at least, get some holes in there, get it tore up. So the preparation of the soul, of the, of the soul, of the soil is very important. And here's how farmers prepare the soil. They do, basically, there's three things that you'll do, okay? It's one, you will disc it. You know what a disc is? It's sort of a concave plate thing, which basically breaks the ground up. It breaks the ground up and sort of turns it. That's one of the ways farmers prepare the ground. Another way is they plow it. A plow is a thing that's got this... Plow goes down into the ground as you pull it, and it digs the underground up and throws it to the top. Throws what's on the surface under. And then there's this thing, I think they call it a harrow or something, where you actually rake it and smooth it and then lay off your rows. Well, guess how, guess how God plows us? Guess how God discs us? Guess how God... It's His Word. So many times when you are sitting down reading the Bible, what's happening is God is disking and plowing the soil of your, of your heart. That's what's happening. That's why you're not getting anything wonderful out of it. It's not meant to get anything wonderful because on that day and that moment, God's all He's doing is plowing. He's getting the ground ready. He's keeping the ground soft for the next thing. And once you do that, once you prepare the ground and have the ground ready, the next thing you do is you do what? You plant the seed. And there, and let's just read uh, verse 26 of this, of this chapter. Okay? This is really cool, verse 26 through 28. Now, God uses other ways of preparing our soul besides the Word. Okay? There is other ways. I mean, He uses difficult people in your life. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Bible. This one. We're talking about the Word of God. It's, it's, it's a very primary way He regularly prepares us, your soul. Okay? And there's a way in which the Word of God cleanses and prepares you, which is different from when the Word of God comes to you as a seed. Now, that's an important point. There's a, there, you see, in one way it prepares your heart, but, there's, but that's not the seed. It's just a preparation that, of just reading the Word and allowing it to plow you. It prepares you for the seed. And what the seed is, and this is what's the profoundly, the seed is what becomes revelation in our life. And once you get, and see, here's the thing about revelation. This is what I've understood about when God gives you revelation on something. Revelation, usually you understand it, already understood the thing mentally. Okay? This is how I know I've got something revelation on something. Maybe I understood it mentally, but when God gives me revelation, I have a much, 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 much deeper understanding of it. Plus, this is what really gets you, there's a passion in me about it. There's a fire in me about it. There's something inside of me about it. And that's how the Word of God becomes a seed in your life. Now, it says this, okay? Um, <clears throat> the kingdom of God, is, this is verse 26, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. He himself does not know how. See, what happens is God, as God, as in your daily time in the Word of God, God is plowing you. But along the way, sometimes God becomes a sower. Well, He doesn't tell us when He's sowing. Okay? He just throws some seed out. He says, that ground's good. I'm going to throw some seed in it. And it gets planted in you, and you may or may, you probably don't even know it's been planted. 
You may not be mentally in touch, but somewhere in that time, day in and day out, God has planted some seeds in you. And those seeds are growing in you. We don't know how they grow. It says that. We just get up by day and go to bed at night and get up by day. But one day, you sit down and something happens. Suddenly a light comes on inside of you and you see something that profoundly changes you. And that's what Revelation will do. It will profoundly, it's, it's like that, that word. You know, information informs us. Revelation transforms us. Are you with me on that? It changes us. It does something real. And that is where that intersection comes. That's when the kingdom of God suddenly bursts forth into your life. But it's probably not going to happen if you hadn't spent that time plowing, allowing the Word of God to plow you. So you see, the Word not only plows you, the Word also sows itself as a seed in you. And see, right there, I mean, that gives me a desire to read the Bible because I love revelation. I love it when I feel like God speaks to me. So when I sit down in the morning, He may or may not say jack to me in my Bible reading. It may just, well, I just read this, you know. I just read it. I didn't feel anything. In fact, it was kind of boring. In fact, I forgot what I read two minutes after I read it. I can tell you what I read this morning. I read one thing that God started speaking in, but I don't have revelation on it, but I read Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that he served God with his spirit. I thought, whoa. We always want to serve God, but Paul was talking about something happens inside of you. Before it works on the outside, before this, this serving God stuff becomes a reality in life, it's got to be a reality down in the spirit realm. Something's got to work in you. That's why I was talking about a while ago. I want to wait. I'm too stupid. I mean, I'm not that stupid anymore. I used to be real stupid. If God was speaking, I want to go do something about it right then. But the stupid lesson was this. Every time I'd take a beating. You know? You see what I'm saying? Are y'all with me? I'm telling you, God wants to give us a real hunger for His Word. All right, the third thing every farmer will do, he will first, he will prepare the ground. Then he will sow the seed. But every farmer truly knows that seed will not grow without water. Right? It's got to be watered. And he can either irrigate it or he can, you know, ask God and hope God sends rain. But let's read verse 24, Mark 4. It says, take, take heed what you hear. That's Jesus. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, to you who hear, more will be given. So just like the Word of God, the Scripture, the Bible, prepares your heart for seed... And the Bible becomes that seed. The Bible also becomes that water to water what's in you to cause that thing in you to grow. To cause that thing in you to come up. Are y'all with me? For whoever has, to him more will be given. I used to hate that scripture. And I realized the context. The context, God is talking about the Word. And as we allow the Word to, to, to plow, as we allow the Word to be planted, God will send the Word to water that thing because God Himself is concerned about the thing He's planted in you. And he, just like God Himself makes the plant on the earth grow, He wants to make the plant that He's planted inside of you to grow. He, he takes responsibility for it. He really does. He's the one who makes it grow. But the Word, the reading of the Bible, the morning, the day in and day out, how it grows, we don't know. We just know God makes it. He uses the Bible to water it. 
You know, it's just that regular reading of the Bible, regular studying of the Bible, regular thinking about, you know, what the Scripture says. Filling our mind with those things is really what, it's what's watering something in you that's wonderful, something that's in you that's going to change your life. And that's really, for me, this is how God gave me a real revelation of grace because I had an understanding of grace for years. But this is what happened to me. I read that thing in Acts where Paul said, I commend you to God in the word of His grace. That's what he said to the Ephesians. And I'm thinking, well, heck, that's got to be pretty important. That's what Paul was leaving these people with after all three years of ministry. Crying over them, carrying on over them, trying to help them, teaching them, fussing at them, doing everything that an apostle would do to try to establish people. He's taking off. Goodbye, you'll never see me again. But, oh, here's what's going to carry you down the long haul. Because you don't need me. You need these two things. You need God and the Word of His grace. I thought, well, you know, I sort of understand this God thing, but what, what in the world about this Word of His grace thing? And that thing just bugged me. For a long time I kept thinking about it and thinking, what does it mean, Lord? What does it mean? And then one day, out of the mouth of my wife, she started talking about it. And this little door cracked. And I realized, that's what it means. And this revelation flooded into my soul. You hear what I'm saying to you? But see, all along it started with reading the Bible. It started with me thinking about it, watering it. It was... There was a seed planted that day, or one day it was planted. I don't know when God planted it. He may have planted it way back. But the, the, the water, the, just, it was just tumbling. I think that tumbling was sort of like the planet just plowing into my heart, bugging me. Because I realized I don't have a revelation of grace. Heck, if they need it, I certainly need it worse. Because those guys had Paul there to help them, and I didn't have Paul. I needed something. It was the Word that it, where it all began. And Becky was here actually sharing a teaching when God gave me the revelation, that was the Word. So we really need to, to listen to teachings. We need to read the Bible regularly. We need to study the Bible. We'll do all those things. Now, here's a great warning. A friend of mine had this, he did a study of El Nino. Y'all know what El Nino is, right? That's when it rains or didn't rain, whatever, wherever you live. But one of the things he thought God was trying to show him about it was in these Pacific islands down near the equator, wherever that is, you know, down halfway down the world, there's these desert specific, uh, Pacific islands. They're deserts. That's all they are. There's nothing grows on them. There's just nothing there. But during the El Nino years, those islands are saturated in rain. I mean, it rains like pouring you know what out of a boot for a year. You know what that means? Y'all don't know what that means? You don't want to know. <laughs> Becky said, don't say it. That's an old country saying. Okay? But it just rain and rain. But guess what happens to these islands? Nothing. Nothing grows, even though they get saturated. And he felt like, this is what he said, that's our hunger as people for special events. We want a special event, and we're going to get soaked in this special event. But nothing happens in our life, because that's all we got. On a low level, on a low scale, it's like people who go to church, that's the only time they hear the Word of God is in church on Sunday, and nothing happens in their life. Because they don't have that daily thing of the Word watering them, the Word turning them over on a daily basis. And I think we have to be careful, especially Americans. Americans love special events. Let's get a crusade, you know, and those things are great. But if that's all you got, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be like that desert island. You're not going to have anything. God has meant for us to have a relationship with us, with Him through His Word. All right, then the last thing every good farmer knows, let's read verse 17. Are you all with me? 
Verse 17 through 19, Jesus is talking about uh, those... Uh, well, let's read verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. How many in this room... There's people in this room don't have no root in themselves. They get excited about hearing, you know, a good message or whatever. But nothing happens in your life. It's because you don't have any root in yourself. And that's why the plowing's important. And they have no root and endure only for a time. Lord bless you. There's so many Christians that only endure for a time. Where are the Christians who endure over the long haul? That's what you've got to really look for. It's where are those that are... They're in, you know, when the Lord's moving, they're there. When the Lord ain't moving, they're there. You know? When it's blessed, they're, they're blessed. When it's not blessed, they're still blessed somehow. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arrives for the Word's sake, immediately they stumble. Okay, and now these are the ones uh, sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the Word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the Word, and it becomes unfruitful. Okay, there's protection of the seed. Okay, because there's enemies against the seed that are going after the seed. And that's, that's what he's explaining here. Um, a lot of people's spiritual lives are, are stalled. A lot of people wonder why nobody is seeking them out. No, people are not attracted to them. People are not drawn in trying to get spiritual things from them. And you know why it is? Because people, under, spirit understands spirit. Spirit don't see fruit. Or if there's fruit, there's so many weeds over it, nobody can see it. Or the fruit's so tiny because it's so stunted. You see what I'm saying? And, and they want to blame everybody else for their problem. But it's your tree, it's your fruit, it's your garden that you haven't cultivated. So there's an enemy. The first enemy, which is represented by the sun, is affliction. Difficulty, hardship, and better known as trouble. Anybody got any trouble in their life? This trouble may or may not be instigated by other people. But it is trouble nevertheless. Let me give you a great prophecy. Okay? I'm going to put something on you. In this world, you will have trouble. I think somebody named Jesus said that. In this world, you will have trouble. And it says these people had this trouble, or they called it in, the, in here tribulation. It's really trouble. It's just difficulties. It's situations that happen in your life. See, that is an enemy of the Word of God in your life. That's the enemy of that seed. Trying to get that seed, trying to destroy that seed. But Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. I've already dealt with it. So we're going to have trouble. Christianity is full of trouble. It really is. It is difficult. There is not a, a carefree life, ladies and gentlemen. If somebody told you, they're liars. They are flat liars. Life is not a, a bowl of cherries, so to speak. Christianity is full of troubles. And if you really want to know about trouble, try being a pastor. Honestly, I've been meeting with pastors like they are the most whipped human beings in the world. I'm serious. We need to pray for pastors. Honestly, I really feel this. We're in trouble. We are in trouble with, with pastors. I just, this is a sort of a sideline. But there are a lot of beat-up pastors out there right now. I mean, they have had the fire whipped out of them. You know, we meet regularly with pastors. These are great guys here, right here in our community. Some of them are just beat to death wanting to quit, wanting to give up, wishing they could find a way out of their situation. Went to a pastor's conference, talking to pastors. Well, last year my church was 100 people, now it's 50 people. I don't really understand what's going on. And here's the great revelation, and this really is a great revelation. I don't really have, I have a negative passion about this that Becky and I have come to. That's just the nature of this. It's trouble. It's chaos. It's confusion. 
There's always somebody going to be mad. There's always somebody going to be leaving. There's always somebody going to be unhappy. You just live with it. I mean, honestly, I have concluded that. I can't make them happy. So I have settled in my heart. I live a life. My job is trouble. It brings more trouble than I can create. T.D. Jake said, this is what T.D. Jake said. I heard him talking to a bunch of pastors. He said, he said, well, until you settle that issue, you will never get out of the kindergarten of ministry. You'll never. I went to a pastor's meeting here a couple months ago. This was terrible. I went home and told Becky. I said, we are in serious trouble. Because we went to this meeting, and then they said, well, we're going to go upstairs in the sanctuary, and we're going to spend a time of worship and prayer. This is pastors. You could not get one of them to worship. You could not get one of them to pray one prayer. The poor guy leading it had to do it all. And I was one of them who wouldn't dare say a prayer. I was scared to. It was the most dead. I mean, it was, I mean, somebody said double dead. This is double dead. I mean, it wasn't just flat. It was so bad. It was like way down in the hole. I couldn't wait to get out of there. But I'll tell you, it was terrible because I realized these are the shepherds. And here they are. They're double dead. They don't even want to pray. And the guy had good things to pray about. He was praying for the community. He was praying for sick people. And I'm thinking, we're in trouble, Lord. We really are in trouble. And I think we're in trouble with our shepherds in this country. That's why 18,000 pastors a year leave the ministry. It's because somehow they haven't got this revelation. You've got a job of trouble, pal. Just get over it. You volunteered for it. You wanted it. You got it. Now live with it. And that's the truth. I hate to say that. I don't want to try to discourage anybody from being a pastor because that's why it has to really be a real call from God to bear to put up with it. Because I used to just stay stressed out all the time, 24 hours a day. I was never happy. I realized this can't be right. I can't change everybody else. I've got to change. And I just realized, hey, there's people going to backslide. There's people going to betray you. There's people going to hate you. That's the first enemy. Did y'all get that? Acts 27, the story of the shipwreck of Paul. I know I'm going over time. I'm sorry, but I'll be through in about two minutes. First thing, they got in this storm. First thing they do, let's throw the ship's tackle overboard. You've got to build your life for storms. You throw the ship's tackle, and that's how they guided the ship was the tackle. That's the thing they used to guide ships. The Word of God is what guides us. You get in trouble in your life, what do you do? Oh, let's just toss this out the door. We don't need this no more. We're messed up. We're having a hard time. I'm just messed up. When's the last time you read the Bible? About six months ago. I mean, honestly, that's the way some people treat it. You know what I'm saying? Let's just toss the Bible. God left it for us, but we don't need it because we can get through this by worrying and being messed up. <laughs> Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, I hope I didn't mess my Bible up. <laughs> this is a very flexible Bible. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And then the storms came. The storms are coming. Trouble's coming. Wake up. Wake up. And it's the enemy of the Word of God, and we've got to protect it. Guess how you protect it? The same way you plow the ground. The same way you get revelation. The same way you water that revelation. Day in and day out. Just let God speak to you through the Bible. I don't care if it's born or not. I don't care if you don't understand it or not. Read the Bible. Christians, read it. All the time, every day. Don't be so foolish to think you can get away with not reading it. I mean, this sounds like a ridiculous message, but it's the truth. I bet if we took a real poll and everybody was real honest, we would have a bunch of people here not regularly reading the Bible. And I'm saying to you today, your Christianity will not work 
you can blame me, you can blame the church, you can blame who, the, your family, your mama, or whoever. But it will not work if you're not in the Bible. It just is not just that. Build for the storm. Hear those sayings of Jesus. How are we going to hear them? One of the chief ways is reading the Word daily. That's how you hear it on a daily basis. Get you some good teaching tapes or listen to a good radio station or, or buy music that sings scriptures. That's a great way. I think that. I like that. All right, the second enemy is the persecution. Again, represented by the Son. And this persecution is always the result of human instigation. It's when your best friend talks ugly about you. It's when people don't like you because you're being spiritual. You understand what I'm saying? It's when you're being stabbed in the back. It's when people have done stuff to you they really shouldn't have done. And it says they become offended. They stumble. They be, it really literally means become offended. Those things are meant to get you out of the Word. People are going to treat you wrong. Good people, great people, sincere lovers of God that love God are going to treat you wrong and think they're doing the right thing and, and be convinced in heart, this is the right thing. This person needs to hear this. This person needs to be treated this way. Out you go. My friend came up to me, this first thing is pastor. Well, I threw him out of the church. He had to throw one of his leaders out of the church because he wouldn't quit smoking pot. I thought, man, that guy's probably mad at you. You know, that guy was devastated over that. He felt, that pastor felt personally betrayed because he had been with this guy for years. He got in the smoking pot and he tossed him. He, he tried to help him for three or four months and he wouldn't quit. He wouldn't repent. So he just said, there's the door. Leave. You're not welcome in this church any longer. I thought, man, that's, that's bravo. But the person who left has a great opportunity to be very offended when God was trying to help him. The pastor has a great opportunity to be offended because his close friend did betray him, did do him wrong in the church. You see what I'm saying? When people hurt us, when people let us down, you can be just ashamed because your buddies don't want you to be a Christian and you know, that person's being holy, holy roller and all that stuff. Those are enemies of the Word of God. The last one is uh, complication. Anybody got any complications in their life? Okay, these are represented by the choking thorns there Jesus talked about. There's three types of, of choking thorns, three types of choking weeds. Number one is the cares of this world. Anybody got any cares of this world operating in your life? Okay, those are enemies of the Bible. You know why they're enemies? Because they battle against the truth that God is really in control and that God's going to take care of you. That's what the real issue is. Are you trusting God or, oh, my gosh, the bills are coming and we can't pay them? You hear what I'm saying? That's, that's, those are thorns in your life meant to choke the Word. The next one is deceitfulness of riches. Okay, deceitfulness of riches. That is battling against God's promise of significance and security for your life. Yeah, if I get rich, I'll be somebody. I'll be all right. I can pay all my bills. They're battling. They're battling the seed. They're battling the thing that's in you that's going to give you life. Are you all with me on this? And the last one is the desire for other things. Anybody got any desire for other things? I'm not talking about you just want to have a hobby or you just want to have a girlfriend. If you're married, that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it should be your wife. That's a good desire. Let your wife not just be your wife. I remember one time, a great blessing. We walked in this place, and this guy said, Is this your wife or your girlfriend? I said, This was God. I said, Both. I was a hero at that moment in Becky's eyes. <laughs> but that's really the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to be our wife and girlfriends. But, you know... 
These desire for other things really will choke. You know, the Lord said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, Song of Solomon 2.15, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. See, it's not big things, it's little things that wear you down and, and steal you, okay? For our vines have tender grapes, and the foxes will come and eat those tender grapes, each fruit. You'll be a fruitless Christian, you'll be a miserable Christian, you'll be backslidden, you'll be out there doing stuff you shouldn't be doing for, you know what. So my desire for you and for me and for all of us this morning is that God would release a passion for the Word of God back into our life. And so when I sit down in the mornings and read the Bible, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Because I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it, Lord. I think, oh, no, you know, God, you, perhaps you're plowing today. Or perhaps there's an invisible seed being put in my heart that six months down the road it is going to radically infect my life. Or perhaps you're watering those seeds that are already in there. Or perhaps you're protecting me from the, the worries and the anxiety and all the people at church. Did y'all get that? Because here's why, here's another most pastor says, church would be great if it weren't for people. They honestly say that. I don't say that. I love you guys. You're great people, even though you cause trouble. But I do too. I, God, I think about all the pastors I've messed up. I messed up a few. Let's stand up and we'll be dismissed. Let's ask the Lord for a sincere desire to read the Word. We're not talking about legalism. We're not all that hogwash. Forget it. I'm not talking about you got to read X amount and all that. Just... Just get a desire, and then it'll work out from there. Jesus Christ in you, I am in Him, He is in me, desires to read the Bible using your face. You understand what I'm saying? He desires that. Uh, let's allow Him to release that desire in us this morning. Father, we ask You, Lord, raise Your hands. Lord, for those who are dry in the Word this morning, I pray You'd break this, that dryness. If they're in a winter, you know, just, just it would be broken in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, they'd begin to be just revelation in the Word again. Just things would begin to speak to them again, Lord. I just pray for that, Lord. For those who's, uh, <clears throat> hey, for those who are going on a mission trip, raise your hand, one hand, wave it. Uh, Lord, I pray for them this morning. They would not allow doing God's work to hinder them from the Word and their new environment and getting distracted and all the busy things they have to be doing. Lord, I pray specifically for them right now, Lord, that they would have a life in the Word on their mission trip. Those who are going on vacation this summer, raise your hand. Lord bless them. I'm going. Let them go on a vacation with you, Jesus. And they would spend time in the Word on vacation. For those high school graduates, high school graduates, college graduates, raise your hand. Raise your hand, high school. Come on. All right. You, Lord, you see their hands. Let them in their new life that the Word of God would be a big part of it. Big part of it. If it hadn't been up to now, it's a good time to start. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these folks, Lord. Thank you for, you know, all you've done for us today. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen.